0: What's up guys? Welcome back to the Glory UJ podcast. I'm Tyler and with me as always is my co-host Curtis and on today's show it's obviously we got a huge game this week. They're all big games. We got a huge matchup on the road in the Deep South's oldest rivalry against the Auburn Tigers and so we're going to open up the listener mail back here. We got a lot of Auburn-centric questions obviously with how important how big this game is. We've got a couple other questions kind of all around as well so we'll get into all of those here in just a minute but real quickly just to let some of our newer listeners know, you guys can follow us on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. Uh, we do love to hear all your thoughts uh, and kind of interact with you guys there, so do not be shy. Let us know what you think about the show, about the team, about the season, all that good stuff. You can also email, so that's easier for you. The email address is Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and just to also give you guys another heads up, you can find our show on a bunch of different platforms out there. We're on dogsportsradio.com. Um, you can also check out the dogsportsradio Radio app on your iphones or droid phones whatever type of phone you have it should be in your app store you can also find us on uh itunes soundcloud and also the stitcher and TuneIn apps as well and we definitely appreciate all you guys listening at all we really appreciate that first and foremost but if you get a chance we'd also really appreciate if you guys kind of rate and review the show on whatever preferred platform you have to find our show on. So with all that out of the way, Kurt, let's go ahead and get into all these questions, man. We don't have a ton of time today, so we want to get through as many as we can. We're going to start with a couple of Auburn questions here, Kurt. Obviously, we're going to get into all the X's and O's and the matchups here uh, very much in depth, as as we always try to do uh, on our preview show at the end of the week on Thursday. But we're going to go ahead and answer a couple of these quick questions here on today's show. So, Kurt, the first question is from Connor. Connor, appreciate the question, man. And Connor asks, how important is this Auburn game? Because as of now, it seems like win or lose this game, as long as we win the SEC Championship, we are in the playoffs. So, Kurt, that's a fair question. How important really is this Auburn game? Um, I think it's really important
1: because there's no given you're going to beat Alabama in the SEC championship game. I think this get, this winning this game makes your margin of error a little bit better when it comes time for the SEC championship game. Because if we lose this game, then it's a win or we're not even going to be in a you know New Year's Bowl type situation, which is you know has happened in the past where the team that lost the SEC championship game just gets screwed and has to go to like the Capital One Bowl or something. So I think that winning this would just give us that much more of a, a better chance in getting into it where we're not backs against the wall.
0: I mean, that's, I mean I, that's a good point. Remember 2012, I think that's probably what you're referring to. 2012, we lose to Alabama. Uh, had beaten Florida in the regular season. Had the same record as Florida in the regular season. Uh, said we beat them head-to-head, and we had to lose to Alabama in the SEC title game. And Florida ends up going to the Sugar Bowl ahead of us, which I was really pissed off about because I wanted to go to New Orleans to the Sugar Bowl. And we got put in the Cap 1 Bowl. So that there is a precedent where that's happened. But now, that was before the, the uh, college football playoff committee, and they're the ones who kind of who plays the teams in all the different New Year's Six Bowls. So I I still think even if we lost to Auburn, as long as we won out against Kentucky and Tech, even if we lose to Auburn and Bama, we'd probably still be in one of those New Year's Six Bowls, probably in Atlanta for the Peach Bowl, which would freaking, wow, that would suck. But I guess if we lost to Auburn and lost to Bama, that'd be our own doing. Uh, But... Look, for me, I do think this is an important game. Connor, I get where you're coming from, and I totally understand because you're right. As long as we win the SEC Championship game, even if we lose to Auburn and then we win out against Kentucky and Tech, if we lose to Auburn and beat Alabama in the SEC title game, we're still probably more than likely going to be in the playoffs. But here's the thing. What if we lose that title game to Alabama? What if we lose that title game and we end up having and – that's, and that's one loss there – In that scenario, we really need to have beaten Auburn to at least put ourselves in a solid position to be in consideration for a potential at-large berth into the college playoff. It would be tough. There would be a lot of of teams kind of piled up there in that one-loss range. But our victory over Notre Dame, I think, would really help us there. So if we had a victory over Notre Dame and a victory on the road at Auburn, a victory over a, a good Mississippi State team, I think that would put us in a really good position to have a great argument to get in even if we lost the SEC championship game. So, yes, I agree. If we lose the title game or if we win the title game, we're going to be in, as long as we win out against Kentucky and Tech, even if we lose the Auburn game. we just got to win that title game. But there is a scenario where we end up losing the SEC title game to Alabama, which is probably, I mean, I don't know right now. I guess i would say it's probably more likely than not that we'd probably lose to Alabama in the title game. We'd definitely have a shot to win that game, no doubt about it. I'm not going to just give that game up, give it to Bama, at all, but I think, would you say it's fair to say it was probably more likely Bama wins that game?
1: Uh, I mean, I think they'd be definitely
0: favored. Yeah, and, and, and that's what I'm going with. I think if you look at Vegas, I think I saw a stab, I forget what book it was, what sports book it was, but one of the sports but had it, I think, if they were doing it last week, if they were make, making the odds for the SC title game with us and Bama, it'd be like a 7.5 point Bama, Uh, or Bama would be favored set by 7.5 points there. Uh, So I go with that saying I think that they would probably be the team that would be the odds-on favorite to win, clearly, because most sportsbooks out there would give them the edge right now. But we would clearly have a shot to win that game, and I'm not chalking that up to Bama at all. But it's really important for us to win this game, because if we happen to lose to Alabama in the SEC title game, it's really important to have this Auburn win on the resume, because that would keep us at one loss and at least give us a fighting chance. If we lose to Auburn and then lose in the SEC title game, do we have any chance? No, none whatsoever. So I get what you're saying, Connor, about the SEC title game really being the one that's most important. But every game is important. We've got to keep winning. We've got to give ourselves the best opportunity possible to get in the playoffs, put ourselves in the best position, and every single game is important. I, I, so I'm going to say, yeah, this Auburn game is critically important because there's no guarantee we win the title game. There's no guarantee, and we need this Auburn game. If that if that scenario kind of comes to fruition, we at least have a chance if we beat Auburn. Uh, All right, number two here, question number two is from Jeremy. Appreciate the question, man. Who has the toughest task on Saturday? Is it our defense versus the Auburn offense trying to slow them down? Or is it our offense versus the Auburn defense trying to move the ball on what is a pretty darn good Auburn football team or Auburn defense? How do you see that one playing out?
1: I actually want to go with our defense because I think the thing is Auburn is one of those schools that does a lot of window dressing before plays. And, um, so not not only do you have to, you know, I mean, th- we know how they are. This is probably one of the best better teams they've had with the D-ball. So that's going to be one of our main focuses, especially DB wise, but we are also going to have to stay, you know, it's, you have to really play assignment and stay disciplined when you're playing this team.
0: Yeah, I think it's I mean, I mean, I think it's a tough task either way. But
1: cuz I think I mean, look at last year, I mean, the D, yeah, our offense struggled, but if our defense hadn't played it out of their minds, we lose.
0: Yes, that's very true. That's true. That is true. But this Auburn defense is a top 15 year right now. Nationally, they're 14th in yards per game allowed. So this is, I think, I mean, tell me if you disagree, man. I think this is probably the best defense we've faced all year, to this point. It will be the best defense we've faced. Do you agree with that? Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, I don't. our closest game so far has been Notre Dame, and I mean, their defenses aren't very close.
0: Yeah, yeah I mean, the Notre Dame defense is much better than they were last year, but it's not an Auburn caliber defense. They don't have those kind of players right now. So I'm, I'm going to go with the tougher task and be our offense versus the Auburn defense. I think our defense is clearly the strength of our team, although our offense has been playing very well, been executing at a pretty high level for most of this season. Um, but the thing is, I, I just think the Auburn defense is right now playing at a higher level than the Auburn offense. So I think with the Auburn defense being a top 15 defense and our offense being solid and, and really executing well, we still have some questions, especially with Jake Fromm being able to f- truly beat a team with his arm if they're able to slow down a ring. Because right now, I mean, he had a huge game against Missouri, had a, had a good, solid game, very efficient game against South Carolina. But he still has not faced a team that's been able to slow down our rushing attack. And if that happens, we just we don't know what's, what. how Fromm's going to respond. I think he'll be up to the task. I really do. I'm a believer in Jake Fromm. You guys know that. But I can't sit here with any degree of certainty and say 100%. Yes, Jake Fromm will absolutely be able to, to throw his way to victory for our team on the road at Auburn against a top 15 defense. So I think the tougher task will be our offense going, going up against that Auburn defense. But I could also see the other way around as well. I don't think that you can really go wrong either way. I think it's going to be a tough matchup either way. All right, next question here is from loyal listener Reggie. Reggie, always appreciate the questions, man. And Reggie asks, what's more important against the Auburn offense, stopping the run or limiting big plays? It's a tough one, man. Which way are you going to um, go? I
1: think to them it's going to be the, the run because I think the run is what sets up everything for them.
0: It, to me, that's exactly the way I would go here. Because, I mean, we've, we've talked about this in past years doing this show. Yes, we you mentioned the window dressing that Gus Malazan and Chip Lindsay like to throw Uh, out there for their offense, but really when it comes down to it, this is a power-rushing offense. It's a spread attack, but it's a power-rushing spread attack. That's what they want to be first and foremost. And then when they hit big plays in the passing game, they hit those big plays off of play action more often than not. they kind of do this their their traditional big play-action play. The the quarterback is like the whirly bird where he he fakes like 13 different times, turns around, and chucks the ball deep to a guy down the seam. So that's what they're trying to do. And, And they will hit some of those big plays in the running game as well. So in some ways, I think stopping the run and limiting the big plays kind of go hand-in-hand hand with Auburn, especially with how on Johnson is playing this year. I mean, this guy's been playing like a man-possessed all year long. I mean, he absolutely stole that job from Cam Petway. I mean, Petway's been injured as well. I mean, he's out for the season at this point. but And he was also, I think, in, in trouble suspended to start the season as well. But on Johnson has been a man-possessed this year. He, he's, he has stepped up his game in a major way. So I think stopping the run and limiting him from hitting big plays are kind of in some ways one the same. But I agree with you. I think stopping the run is first and foremost against this offense because, think about it traditionally, when they can't run the football, do they pass the ball well at all?
1: Uh, it would,
0: it they makes really a lot don't. Talk to I, I will um, say, I think that. Um,
1: because the thing is, when. Running the ball well, it's one of those things where you're so afraid that they're going to do it that that's when they hit you
0: deep. Well, they're balanced when they run the ball well. They're balanced, and that's how that's how their entire offense. It's a I know it's a spread offense, yes, and it doesn't look like a pro style offense, but it's pro style concepts. It really is. They want to run the football. They want to pound you physically, and they want to hit you over the top of play action shots. That's essentially what we want to do. It's just how it looks, how we go about doing that looks a little different, but the core concept is exactly the same. So I, I think stopping the run is the biggest thing here. Although, if we do stop the run, I, I, I will say I think Stidham is more equipped to throw the ball down the field and beat us with his arm than any court they've had in, what, a decade? Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say that's probably the case, but stopping the run will go a long way in helping us win this football game. No doubt about it. All right, next question is from Jamie. Appreciate it, Jamie. Jamie asks, what's your take on why D'Angelo Gibbs has been so quiet this season when he was getting so much buzz during the offseason. I think this is a fair question, and I'm guilty as charged here. I, I was one of those guys pumping Gibbs up, saw him at a couple of the spring practices, was able to see him at the open practice, and this is a guy that I was expecting big things out of, but we haven't really seen that from him to this point. And probably if we haven't seen it at this point, we're not going to see it at all this year. So, Kurt, what is your take on why that's been the case?
1: Um, I have to say, I think the biggest thing was, you know, the uh, emergence of someone like J.R. Reed, and then also at the same time, um, I think his his shoulder injury.
0: Yeah, I, uh, that wasn't really publicized all that much, but he did have a little. Uh, I mean, you still see him in a brace now. Yeah, I mean, I would say it was a minor shoulder injury, but even a minor injury like that can set you back when you're trying to win a job, and you're especially when you're a young freshman, and you don't have the entire system down. That kind of thing can definitely hold you back. Uh, look, you know, in the spring, I saw him. Yeah, one of the spring scrim- spring scrimmages, getting a lot of reps with the ones. Uh, and what, what I saw from him, he looked really good, big, much bigger than I had seen him in high school. He put on some good weight. Uh, was playing with some physicality. Uh, I w- I did have some cons- concerns about him in coverage because at the at times he did look lost. But I chalked that chalked that up to him just being basically on campus just for a couple of months and still very much in the learning process of kind of getting this system down. And I had faith that he would, he would get it down by the time the season started. But I think you're right. I think the bottom line is some of those other guys were just there. They were ready before he was. You look at Jr. Reed. If J.R. Reed was not ready to play to the level J.R. Reed's been playing, Aaron Davis is probably playing back there at safety, right? Yeah. And then there's a very good chance that D'Angelo Gibbs would have slid into that role right now, and maybe it was maybe it would have been Tyreek McGee. Very well could have been Tyreek McGee. But if if Reed was not playing to the level he's been played he's played this year, you probably have Davis at safety. For most of this season, and then you got D'Angelo Gibbs versus Tyreek McGee battling it out there to see who's going to be that guy, and maybe Gibbs wouldn't beat him out, maybe not because McGee was getting some reps for the ones as well in the spring at, at the star position. But uh, I think D'Angelo Gibbs at least had a much clearer path to that to, to to that spot to get some more playing time. But just so happens, I think really what's what's holding him back more so than anything. I know they don't play the same position, but it kind of just creates a logjam. But it's his cousin, Jr. Reed, just playing way above what everyone thought he was going to be playing, at least what I thought he was going to be playing. I shouldn't speak for anyone else, but way above what I thought he was going to be playing. But uh, do you still expect big things from Gibbs down the road here? Oh, yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. sooner rather than later. I think he, I think he's going to be a major contributor for us. Think about all the guys who are losing the secondary next year. He's going to be a big-time part of this defense next year, and I think he's going to be a big-time player for us for years and years down the road here. Uh, next question here from Jeremy. This is also kind of related to the Auburn uh, game here, uh, but a little more specific. Does Nate Patrick start versus Auburn now that his suspension is over? So, Kurt, do you think Natres just automatically gets inserted right back in the starting lineup, even?
1: Um, I do because it's one of those things where he's been—he's still been getting a lot of reps in practice.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think it's a rust thing. If he was to be held out. Or if he wasn't to get the start, I don't necessarily think it would be a rust thing. I think it might be a, a, a Kirby saying, hey, dude, you screwed up and let the team down. Do you see that scenario where Kirby's like, you know what? These other guys have been playing right. Reggie Carter's been here and done, done everything right. While you've been, you've gotten suspended out for the second time for the, essentially the same offense. Do you see a scenario where he starts Reggie Carter for something oh, like that? I
1: mean, it could happen. But at the same time, I think it's, it's
0: such a big game like this. He has to have his best players out there. I think Kirby wants to win, right? I mean, he's paid to win. And I think he understands that. Uh, love Mark Rick, but Mark Rick is no longer prowling the Georgia sidelines. We got a, we got a man possessed over there ourselves nowadays, and he wants to win this football game. He understands what's at stake, and you're right. He wants to have his best players on the field. and Natech's Patrick, Reggie Carter. I mean, Natech's Patrick, right? Yeah, without a doubt. So I mean, and I love Reggie Carter. Uh, it's, it's, he's a DGD. He's done everything right since he's been here. Man, never been in trouble. But Natech's is just, in my opinion, a step above where Reggie Carter is right now. Uh, next question is from B 4 Real. Appreciate the question, man. Also about Natres. Patrick here uh, is getting Natres back not the best advantage we take into Auburn. Like Ledbetter, stats don't rep or don't represent his immense value. No. So how, how do you see that, Kurt? Is that our biggest um, I, advantage going to this game?
1: I think it allows Raquan to I think it frees up Raquan a lot.
0: Yeah, I mean, biggest advantage? I don't know if I would say it's the
1: and biggest advantage. And I think he's advantage. better stopping the run also against a team that's a power run team. He's a yeah. lot better stopping the run than Reggie Davis, or Reggie, Reggie Carter.
0: Yeah, that's, to me, that's the big thing. I, th- I think it is huge, trust me, be for real. I think it's huge that Nate Trez is back for this game. As soon as his his suspension was announced, you better believe I was counting up the games on the schedule, just praying that he'd be back for Auburn because I knew what type of offensive scheme they had. Yes, again, they spread it out, but they want to run the football at you. You know, I think it was 29 times that Carryon Johnson ran the football uh, last week against Texas A&M. That's what they want to do, and, they, and everything operates off of that. And Reggie Carter can do some good things. He actually, going back and rewatching the game again against South Carolina, Reggie Carter actually played better than I thought he did upon my first watch of the game. Uh, he didn't, wasn't perfect, uh, and Roquan had to clean up a few times after him. But he played pretty well, but still, Natrez Patrick is a step above as a run defender than Reggie Carter. He's bigger, he's stronger, he's more explosive. He does a better job shedding blocks, I think is a huge advantage that he has over Reggie Carter. Reggie Carter sometimes gets stuck on those blocks, and so when I talk about Rogue One having to clean up after him, it's those kind of situations where Carter gets a guy locked on, him and he can, he simply cannot disengage. Nature does a much better job of using his hands, getting his hands on the the, uh, the blocker before the blocker gets his hands on him, which is key when you're trying to defend the run. So, uh, his, so his ability to get on the blocker and then disengage the blocker will be a huge advantage for us in this game. There's no doubt about it. I'm think its i I'm not, I'm not sure if it's our best advantage, but it's a huge, huge boon to get him back. There's no doubt about it. Uh, next question here from Ryan. Uh, also about the Auburn game, Ryan asks, the game in this series, for the most part, or the games in this series, for the most part, against Auburn, have been close of late. Do you think Saturday will be much of the same, or will one team win more convincingly? It's a fair question, Gert.
1: Think, I'm thinking a, it'll be a closer game. I don't see it being a blowout. Either way? A, yeah, or a handi- handily win. I think it'll be a closer game between 7 to 10 points.
0: Oh, man. I, I'll tell you what, dude. I, I'll have a heart attack if that happens. And you're, I think you're probably right. But I mean, even the South Carolina game was a two touchdown game, and yeah, it was tied there early in the first quarter for or in the first quarter for a while. But we were really never quite in danger of losing that football game. And I was still as nervous as I've been in a while because I know what's at stake. And I'm always nervous. And last year, I mean, every, remember last year, every game was close. I mean, we, we had no opportunities to even get our backups, and even against nickel State. So I was freaking out all last year. But the stakes weren't near as high last year. Uh, so if it's if it's that tight again man it's just going to uh, it's not going to be good for my heart not at all but i get your i get your point here man uh, ryan i mean last year was 13-7 the year before and at auburn it was 20-13 but then we we did beat them we killed them 34-7 in athens in 2014 and auburn had the you know whatever play 43-38 so i guess three of the last four games have been pretty close so I'm with you, Kurt. I think it's probably going to be close. It's not good for my mental health or my heart or my life expectancy rate right here, but uh, I do think it's probably going to be close. Auburn is a good football team. They're a proud football team, and the thing is, their defense is very, very good. This is a, this is definitely, in my opinion, the best defense we will have faced to this point this year. And I just don't know if offensively we are good enough to blow them out, to, to put up enough points on that defense. I think we're good enough to put up enough points to win on that defense. I'm not sure we're good enough offensively to, to put up enough points to blow them out absent a bunch of turnovers, some pick sixes, some special team scores, some things like that. Uh, so I, I'm with you, man. I think I would lean much more towards the side of this being a closed football game as opposed to a blowout. Uh next question here. This is a good one. Man. I got this one last week. So it was after we'd already recorded the uh the uh listener mailbag show from last week, so I saved it for this week. It's a good question. It's from Kyrie. Kyrie, I think he uh, Kyrie appreciates you joining Twitter, man. He joined Twitter, I think he said just kind of interact with us. So we definitely appreciate you listening, man, and appreciate the interaction, buddy. Uh Kyrie asks if Georgia and Notre Dame rematch today, how do you think the outcome would be? How would that turn out? I have a couple of friends that think Notre Dame would win by 10. So, Kurt, if we had the georgia Notre Dame rematch week 10, if we played them this Saturday, same setting, Notre Dame at night, how does that game turn out?
1: Um, I think I still have to give us the edge because I think the difference is while their offense is playing better, I mean, we still shut down the run game. And at the same time, I have to say, I think we we were very conservative with our offense that we'd actually open it up.
0: You know, I agree. I think that I think that we would definitely win this game. I, I think. I we mean, were going, our
1: defense was on the field most of the time against them, and we still shut them down.
0: Well, think about that game. First off, think about it's Jake Fromm's first ever start. I mean, he, he played a lot against Appalachian State most of the game, obviously, but he didn't start that game. His first ever start and his first ever start on the road in in that environment. Yes, there are a lot of Georgia fans there. Yes, we know. We all know that uh, it was awesome to be there, but. That was still a road game in a primetime environment, a big, huge stage at night, all the spotlights on you, and he performed admirably. Now, it wasn't perfect, wasn't great, but he did his job well enough for us to win that football game. So you factor that in, now he's a much more experienced player, has much more control of the offense, the coaches trust him more, they understand what he wants, he understands the game a little bit more, he's seen the live bullets flying, uh, he's, he's just grown up. Uh, he's still not perfect at all. Uh, but he's definitely improved and gotten better each, most, I would say each, but just about each and every week. Uh, become a very efficient quarterback, making good decisions for the for, for the most part. So you look at that, and then you also look at some of the missed opportunities we had in that game. Think about the Miko touchdown drop, right? That should have been a touchdown. That's absolutely a touchdown. There's a couple of plays where I thought Nick Chubb could have busted one for a long touchdown. He makes one guy in the secondary miss. And Nick has gotten better at that as the season has progressed. So if, if we played this week, I think Nick might make some of those guys miss and go the distance. So, yeah, I, I, I would also say that Notre Dame has, has improved as well. We can't just sit here and say that we're improving in a vacuum and Notre Dame is not getting better. They are getting better. But they're still a pretty one-dimensional football team. If people want to say that we're one-dimensional running the football, we are no more one-dimensional than Notre Dame is. I, would, I actually would trust Jake Fromm throwing the football more than I would trust Brandon Wimbush to this day. Now, Wimbush has the, the added dimension of running the football with his legs. But that's what Notre Dame does. They, they run the football. They're averaging over 300 yards a game. We held them, I know I keep saying this, about every single week, but we held Notre Dame to 55 yards rushing. We held them to 55 yards rushing. And I don't see that changing all that much. Maybe it wouldn't be 55, but they're not going to run wild on us. So I, I I still think if we play them this week, yeah, I still think we win. I don't know if we win by 10 or by two touchdowns, but I think we definitely would still win that football game. All right, and last question here today, guys. So we're going to have to cut this one a little short today. Got a couple things we got to take care of. Life kind of calls at times, but this is from Adam. We've got one recruiting question here, and it's about Tyreek Johnson, DB out of Florida. He asks, "Has Tyreek Johnson peaked? How common is this for big time recruits?" That's an interesting question. you've heard some, some, uh, I guess, rumors that he might have peaked, and maybe we're backing off of Tyreek Johnson because there were there was a time where. We were considered the, the, the heavy favorite for him. They kind of backed off that. Then we kind of jumped back in the lead, at least based on the recruiting reporters out there. But now you're not hearing a ton about us and Tyree Johnson. So is this a scenario where we're kind of pulling away from Tyree, kind of backing off him a little bit because maybe he has peaked and we've decided that we've evaluated other guys at that same position and liked them better? Is that a possibility?
1: To me it is. I mean, I kind of he kind of reminds me right now of the Trey Dean um Right thing. I mean, he was Trey Dean was being looked at by Texas, us, uh, South Carolina, Alabama, and all these different schools, and then he he commits to Tennessee, who was not even right. Vintage. I was a blue. You know, I think it's one of these where, every, um, especially us, I think we're cooling on him. Um, especially the more we're talking to other people who I think fit uh, our scheme
0: better. Yeah, and also. The, the fact that we're having the year we're having is opening a lot of eyes out there among the recruits. And, and we're, be, we're kind of able to kind of get our foot in the door with some of these guys that maybe we weren't able to get our foot in the door early in the season. Look, Tyree Johnson is still a good player, but he did not have a great camp season this past summer. He did not. Uh, he got shown up a couple of different times. And he wasn't terrible, but he did not perform at a five-star caliber level by all accounts during this past camp season. Um, and that, that I think you have to weigh that in because He was a guy that was ranked as a five-star early on in his high school career. He was a guy that was identified as a guy that was going to be a big-time five-star prospect by his sophomore, junior year. But then you get into a senior year. Going into a senior year, the the camp season wasn't spectacular, hasn't really had a huge senior season. And I think some guys might potentially have just moved ahead of him on our board. And this is not altogether uncommon. You mentioned Trey Dean. That's absolutely a, a great example right there in the same class where everybody just assumed he was in our class. We were, we were going after him. We, we kind of backed off. We did some more evaluation. We said, maybe this isn't the guy we want. Maybe he peaked a little bit early. And this is kind of what ca- cost Mac Brown his job at Texas. I mean, he was at Texas, you know, since they're the a state school and they were on a run there, basically any, everybody and their brother was willing to commit to them by their freshman, sophomore year. So they were getting all these early, early commitments. I'm talking like two years plus commitments before their actual signing day. And Matt Brown was taking them based on where they projected as freshmen and sophomores. Well, sometimes those guys peak at an early age, and it doesn't let you account for growth in guys like Justin Fields. Uh, Justin Fields is another great example on the other side. He's a guy that, that that was kind of an afterthought behind Emory Jones and Trevor Lawrence, but he kept working and working and working. He progressed and progressed and grew and improved dramatically. From his junior to his senior year, and that development we were able to capitalize on. Whereas if you were looking at, you know, two years ago, he wasn't on anybody's radar. All he might was talking about was Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence. But we've seen what's happened here. So guys develop later on in their careers, and they, they can pass by a guy like Tyree Johnson who might have peaked earlier in his career. So that happened to a Mac Brown at Texas. He was saying all these guys who had peaked early, and he was and all these other guys that were that were kind of developing later on in high school careers and trying to be great players. Well, he ends up a miss. He doesn't take those guys since he's already got his classes basically filled out. And I think that's one of the huge reasons why Matt Brown is no longer the head coach at Texas. Uh, but yeah, I think it's fair to say that Tyree Johnson, there's a potential that he could have peaked here. Uh, and I, I definitely think there's a real good possibility that we might be moving another direction there in that secondary. We only have so many spots left. I mean, spots are precious right now. And I think we might be looking at other guys a little bit higher on the board than Tyree Johnson at this point. All right, Kerr, I know you got to run, man. So I'll let you get out of here Uh Appreciate it, man. We'll have you back, what, for, for uh, tomorrow for the preview show, right? Yes. All right, man. See you later. Okay, guys, there are a few more questions that were sent in. I want to make sure to get to everything, so I'm going to soldier on for a few more questions here without Curtis, and uh, then we'll bring Kurt back for the Auburn preview show here later on in the week. So there's a couple more questions here, and I'm going to pick up the solo part of this mailbag with a question from Shirley. Shirley, thank you for the question. We definitely appreciate it. And Shirley asks, with Auburn having a former Georgia coach and a former Georgia player talking about Rodney Garner and Trey Matthews, will that affect the game? Shirley, uh, I, I guess anything's possible, but I, I really don't think that's gonna have an impact on the game. This is not the same regime that Rodney Garner and Trey Matthews were a part of. That was the Rick era. This is obviously the Kirby Smart era. So. I don't know how much carryover there is from when Rodney Garner was in Athens, when Trey Matthews in Athens, a very different sheriff in town. Uh, it's a different program, no doubt about it. So I don't really think it's going to have that much of an effect on the game. Will Trey Matthews play harder? Maybe. But, I mean, Trey Matthews is an okay player. I mean, I know he's a big name for us because he was once upon a time a Georgia Bulldog and kind of left the left the nest there and went to Auburn. But I don't think it's going to have much of an effect on the game at all. I think it's two teams and go out there, put their hearts on the field, and, and let the best team, at least the best team, on that Saturday afternoon, let them win the football game. Uh, the next question here is from Zach. Uh, Zach asked a recruiting question. Appreciate the question, Zach. What are your thoughts on Otis Reese and Channing Tindall? I really like what I've seen from Otis Reese, guys. Uh, and if you're not familiar with Otis, uh, he is, uh, uh, right now he essentially plays safety for Lee County. He's been a commit to uh, to Michigan since, uh, I think, about April. But he, the thing is, he hasn't been back to Michigan since committing to them. He's been he's been on campus here in Athens multiple times this season. So he's one of those guys that we're looking at as a very, very realistic possibility for a flip here at some point. He's a quiet guy, doesn't do many interviews, so we don't really know too much, but I think he's a really good player. He's long... He's, Right now, he plays safety in high school, but I think long-term, he's, got, he's going to be an inside linebacker. Right? There's a chance he's going to take a safety, but that would that would depend on him essentially not growing much more at all. Right now, he's about 6'3", 218, close to 220, around in that 215, 220 range. If he stays exactly at that size, then sure, he could maybe stay at safety, but that's just not going to happen. It's much more realistic to think that once he gets into a college weight program that he's going to put on. He's going to bulk up, and he's going to be, in my opinion, he could potentially be the next one in line to be one of those former safeties that transitioned into becoming a very, very athletic inside linebacker. A la uh Alec Ogletree. I know Roquan Smith was, was always a linebacker in high school, but he had he had a very similar body to Otis. He's not quite as tall, but he was he weighed about the same. So he he definitely could be that next very athletic silent and sideline type linebacker for us down the road here. So I really like him and I think there's a really good chance that we end up landing him. Channing Tindall is probably the He's one of the top players in South Carolina. Probably the best inside linebacker that we're out that we're after publicly. A guy, at least a guy that plays inside linebacker at, at the high school level. I think Reese, like I said, will play inside linebacker long term in Athens if he does end up donning the red and black. But Chane Tyndall's a really good player. Seems like it's down to us in South Carolina. Tyndall, uh, he's probably a little more of a natural linebacker right now than Reese because he simply is playing that position in high school. He's played that for a while. Does a good job playing downhill. Has really good speed as well. Uh, does a decent job of, of stacking and shedding the blockers. Uh, So I I like both those guys. I don't know if we'll take them both, though. I I mean, maybe we take Channing Tindall as an inside linebacker if he wants to commit, and we take Reese as an athlete that could play linebacker, could play safety. Uh, But I, I really think our coaching staff is probably looking at Reese as a safety. So I'm not sure if we take both those guys. It might be a situation of who's the first to commit. And get on, uh, get on the public commit list here and take that inside linebacker spot. Like we just have so few spots left in this class, and I think I don't know if we're gonna take two inside linebacker, both those guys as inside linebackers. I don't know. I guess there's a lot to be seen here. Our next question is from Jesse. Thank you, Jesse, for the question, my man. Jesse asks, which teams nationally still have a path to get into the college football playoff? I think that's a fairly long list, Jesse. It's a shrinking list uh, by the week, but there's still quite a few teams that given whatever scenario could possibly unfold, could at least have a possibility of getting in the playoff. Clearly, you have some undefeated teams like Miami, Wisconsin, uh, that have a legit chance to get in there outside of the top four. You have your your stack of one-loss teams, a bunch of them kind of just piled up there. You've got Clemson, who right now we know, uh, at least when I'm recording this right now, on a Tuesday evening, right before the uh, second week of the playoff rankings have been released, 6.33 p.m. right now, Um, Clemson right now, at least for the first week, was... Number four in the rankings will probably stay there if I had to guess. Uh, when the rankings come out tonight, so you got them stacked up there. You got Washington with one loss. So the thing with Washington is their resume is just not that great. You got Oklahoma who had a big win against Oklahoma State on the road last week. Of course, you got Notre Dame. And you got TCU as well, who's got some pretty good wins, one at Oklahoma State. So those teams definitely still have a path to the College Playoff. But then there's some a couple teams with two losses. It's very unlikely that a team with two losses gets in. But if there happens to be utter chaos, which you know, like a two thousand seven scenario where things just go nuts when a two loss LSU team sneaks in there, so if there's utter chaos, maybe in Auburn, is thinking of Auburn. I mean, God forbid, but they happen to beat us on Saturday, beat Alabama, get to the SEC title, and Bama loses, and or Bama, yeah, they would beat Bama. Auburn gets it then over Alabama into the SEC title game, the rematch or get, have a rematch with us, and maybe they beat us again. If that happens, maybe a two loss Auburn with those three wins there could potentially sneak in, but I, that's just not very realistic. It's, it's possible, I guess. I don't think it's realistic. Penn State, I think they're probably out, but I mean, I mean if there's some, some chaotic situation, they don't lose any more games, maybe Oklahoma State maybe be in a similar situation, but I don't see a path to really. I don't see a very clear path for those teams, but I guess if something insane happened, possibly. But it's a pretty solid list there uh, on top of the, four, the top four teams in the cultural playoff right now. Uh, next question here from Endure Inspire. Thanks for the question, buddy. Kind of sticking with the, the topic of the cultural playoff. Endure Inspire asks: Is this the game, or is, is this game in all of our remaining games a must-win as far as remaining in the playoffs go? Uh, look, man. I, I wish I was Nostradamus. I'd be a lot wealthier if I was. I I don't have a crystal ball, so I, I don't really just know. There's no way to know how every game is going to play out from here on, from here on out among the contending teams. So it's it's hard to predict with any kind of confidence. But I, I guess I would say, not necessarily. I don't think we necessarily have. To win, now, I don't think this game and all of our remaining games are necessarily must wins as far as the playoffs go. It could turn out to be that way, depending on what other teams do, but you just got to remember everything that we do, it does not happen in a vacuum. Now, we can only take care of what we can take care of and win our football games, but what we do is also connected to what Clemson does, what Notre Dame does, uh, what Miami does, uh, what Alabama does. All these things matter. They, so it's just never a vacuum. Because c- let's say we end up losing a game. Let's say we lose a game from one regular season game from here on out. Well, if that happens, we we've lost control of our destiny and then we really are dependent upon what other teams are doing. Who's winning, who's losing. So I guess I would say not they're not necessarily must win games on the stretch. Obviously winning out puts us in a better position, clearly but there's just so much left to play out. I mean, I know we only got three. God, it sucks to say, man, three regular season weeks left. That is insane. God, it goes by so fast. But even in these three regular season weeks, there's so much left to play out. And that's not even counting championship weekend. I'll say this, though. like If we, win, if we enter the SEC title game with one loss and then win the title, I think we're definitely in with our resume. So if we happen to lose to Auburn but then beat Kentucky, beat Tech, and then beat Bama in the SEC title game, I think we are absolutely in as a one-loss team with our resume—not the number one seed, probably—but I think we are in with the resume with a win over Notre Dame, with a win over a solid, solidly ranked Mississippi State team, and then a win over Alabama for sure. I think we would definitely be in. Now, the other scenario here is like if we if we enter the SEC title game undefeated, so we beat Auburn on Saturday, beat Kentucky, beat Tech, then we enter the title game undefeated, but then we lose a relatively close game to Alabama in the championship game. We could still be in, but the thing is, I said a second ago, in that scenario, it would be out of our control, and it would depend on what the likes of Miami, Clemson, Wisconsin, Washington, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, TCU, what all those teams do. In that scenario, what if we lose to Bama in the title game? So let's say that we enter the SEC title game undefeated, but we lose to Alabama in a closely contested game in the title game end up with one loss to what would likely be the number one team in the country at that point. But what if, in that scenario, Miami is also undefeated? They enter in a similar situation as us and Miami both go into our respective conference title games undefeated, but we both lose a close game to our opponent. In our case, it would be Bama. In Miami's case, it would probably be Clemson. In that situation, we would both be in a very similar situation. And right now, a lot of people in our fan base, and I get it, we're we're all dogs, we're kind of just assuming we would get in over Miami. Because they haven't been overly impressive to this point, while well, we've been for the most part blowing teams out outside of two games, but we would have very similar resumes. We both have, if, if Miami was to go undefeated in the regular season, that means they beat Notre Dame this Saturday. Although our win over Notre Dame would be on the road, so I guess that's maybe a notch up. Uh, we would have wins over Mississippi State and Auburn. Why M- Miami? I guess would have a win over Virginia Tech, a good Virginia Tech team. We would probably still have more, a few more quality wins. But I'm telling you, man, I still would not feel comfortable coming in Selection Sunday in that scenario. I just don't know if I would trust the committee. So, there's, that's a scenario. Like, what if, what if Wisconsin loses next week to Michigan, but they win the Big Ten title game? They beat Ohio State. If it's if if Ohio State's the one that ends up in the Big Ten title game, there, uh, that could be another scenario. Like, what what if that happens? What if Washington finishes with one loss in the Pac-12? That one loss to Arizona State earlier in the year, but they win the conference title. Uh, they wouldn't have close to the quality wins we have. But if they won the Pac-12 title with one loss, and we have one loss, uh, but we lost the SEC title again, that's where that one loss came, uh, we would have a better overall regular season resume, but Washington would have a conference title. So there's a lot left to play out, and there's just so many different scenarios that you, could, that you could look at. It's just hard to know for sure. But that's definitely a fair question. Alright guys, well that will do it for us here today on the Glory UGA podcast. We always appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to us. We really do appreciate that. Hopefully, we give you guys some good Georgia content that kind of keeps the week going. Uh, I know the work we can kind of drag on. So, we try our best to give you guys some good Georgia football talk here. Hopefully, we at least come somewhat close to hitting that mark. But uh, for Curtis, I know he's gone. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening, guys. As always, go dogs.